The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Return the Jewels. Also, there's explicit language. Hey everyone, welcome to the 11th episode of Return the Jewels. we can we made it through the 10 episode hump so uh thank you for supporting us all the way through on that um you know we have a website i gotta work on redesigning it we're we're we gotta revamp what we're doing and um so Fonny and i've really been talking about that and you know we'll come out with uh we'll revamp the merch and everything and um but you know this is going good because we're starting to find our voice i think people that have been listening for the last 10 episodes have uh, kind of seen like what we're trying to do is, you know, build that guidebook for uh, younger first generation immigrant kids, people that feel marginalized, uh, not necessarily accepted in their environments. You know, we're building a guidebook of people that are uh, professionals in their 30s or whatever things like that uh, that uh, can you know teach you how to like navigate their spheres you know dealing with microaggressions all while being aware of you know the vestigial effects that colonialism has on all of us and you know our identity and culture and how it really informs our actions and uh, you know how we perceive different things that affect us, even if it's not just our actions and there's like a passive element to it. But anyways, um, today's a very good episode. Uh, We have my good friend on, uh, his name is Danish Makbul. He a Pakistani dude, first generation. He uh, grew up in Jersey. He, um, you've seen him on Rami and uh, you'll see him on more things depending on when you're watching this thing uh or you will have seen him on more things or you'll be able to look him up and find him on more things but uh suffice it to say dude is doing well and he is he's got a great work ethic and that's one thing i admire about him as a friend and so we had him on um you know and we really talked about a lot of things uh Danish, he's a working comedian, you know, he's touring, he, uh, he, he's going for acting gigs, all the, all the stuff, right? But he had a life previous to this, which was as a gamer and gaming commenter for a, a, like a major league gaming. So he was a personality and he was known within that community and developed relationships. So we, we talk about that because, uh, you know, I keep thinking about like what where where what are we trending towards what what is the nexus going to be you know in terms of like entertainment we have everybody doing so many things virtually and people just like kind of uh consume content as if there it's like a a virtual hangout or like like being in the room or by uh, conversations by proxy right and then there's got to be some sort of entertaining element to it and you know why esports is becoming such a big thing or it has become such a big thing and you know marrying the two comedy and gaming and i feel like 
Vanish is kind of, and like we've talked about this for a while, uh, him and I, but like he's kind of the perfect nexus for that because he's got, uh, he knows the language of both the worlds by now because he's put in the work, you know. And so um, that's one thing we kind of get into and talk about. Uh, obviously, brown dude with a beard. So, you know, we, we talk about a lot of like stigmatization and stuff like that growing up and how it affects you and how it affects how you develop. And, uh, you know, just like um, another thing about, uh, you know, this trope with uh, people that look like me, I guess, is uh, that like we're kind of systematically emasculated if you like look in literature look in uh, representations in media and then even like general consensus and how like in different conversations and everything like tone and, and whatever you know that to be argued sure but uh there's a general pattern there and so we kind of touched on that and like what are the solutions to that you know probably uh overcorrecting in terms of representation creating the fuckable brown male essentially is what uh, we talk about. And so it's like, you know, we talked about that growing up in a culturally diverse environment. Uh, you know, the effect of getting bullied is bullying good, essentially. Um, <laughs> watch the episode to find out. And then, you know, we circle back and brought it back to representation, which is like the the hammer I nail, wait, the, the, dr the drum I beat all the time with the hammer. Okay, this intro is too long. Enjoy the episode, Danish McBool. Uh, it's a good one. Uh, and so here now we have with us my good friend, friend of the podcast, uh, Danish McBool. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yo, what up? What up? What up? And I know you uh, you met Fani before on like a different Zoom. This is Fani, Fani Danish. What's up, man? What's up, man? Nice to see you again. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What's good? How y'all living? Good, man. I'm liking the beard. Mine's a little scraggly. Did you get yours done somewhere, or is that just like how it grew? This in? was uh two two months. I think I'm about to go on another two months after this. You know, just straight beard like, growth. Yeah, straight beard growth, straight hair growth. Cause we locking down again, so it's like. I know, but I know you hit me up. You want like headshots, so like I don't know how we're gonna deal with that. Are you gonna get like a fancy? Drink? I think you could do it with the with this scraggly look. You know, hmm. people should be able to accept this is how I look anyway. Yeah, I mean, this is how my self tapes are gonna look because I can't go to a barber. Well, I'm not, people are going to barbers. No, I'm gonna chill for a little while. Yeah, no, I, I, I did. Um. I did stand up last night just because I stopped by my boys' show. Yeah. And they threw me up. In real life or on the Zoom? No, in real life. And I was like, man, I'm, I don't even feel comfortable doing this right now. Really? You know? I just feel like COVID wild out here again, man. Yeah. So. Everyone had on their jackets too. Was the weather fine? Yeah, it's actually beautiful right now. Um, I'm not going to lie. You can't just be. You can't just be yeah, it, it's actually perfect weather to do comedy outside but you know covid is violent so i have my mixed feelings about it <laughs> isn't it raining and shit you do a lot of comedy out in the rain that's just kind of fun yeah i mean there's always a tent situation or this and that but yeah man that this is 
Oh, there's like a couple of shows that got rained out and stuff, and they there were like people posting videos of them and doing performing in the rain and stuff. I mean, it's been pretty wild. I don't think it's ever been like this before for comedy, where they've just been doing outdoor shows and that's become the norm. I mean, comedians will really perform anywhere. To be honest, that's 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 the gig. It's like even I think the biggest comedians in the world would do park shows. I would not be surprised if I walked by a park. I, mean, I can say for sure that they have because yeah, but like, <laughs> if if Seinfeld was doing a, a spot at the park show, it wouldn't be like I wouldn't be like, yo, that's crazy. I'd be like, yeah, he's a comedian, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he's just trying to get on stage. Do you think Jerry Seinfeld would do a park show, even if like let's say quarantine was in? I feel like he would. I would hope so if he was at a level where he couldn't get time somewhere else in like an established way. I think still, he would. Still, I still feel like they're probably filling up clubs just for him. <laughs> Maybe yeah, like I would. Afterwards. I would think that he would. He would do whatever, man. I think that's what comedians got to do right now. They're just doing whatever they got to do to just keep shit going. Yo, yeah, dude. I mean, like. I don't know if many people know this outside of like the comedy community, but like the comedy community itself is like, is like a little petty, you know, like people are a little petty. And so it's like, it's been kind of cool to see like the different strains of pettiness that develop with forced isolation, forced massive isolation, you know? And so it's yeah. like, like one thing, one level, one type of pettiness I notice is like, comedians are shifting to doing a lot of zoom stuff and now that there is there's they're throwing a lot of shade to comedians that do outdoor park shows but only if the park shows are not uh like popular enough right like if it's a small park show then they'll be like why'd you risk your life for it but if it's like a good lineup and a great show (laughs) they'll be like oh okay that's cool i understand you gotta eat (laughs) yeah i mean to me yeah, comedians are very judgmental. First of all, that's the problem. That's the job, you know, is <laughs> to put judgment on things. Mix, so. mix the judgment, the judgmental attitude with the facts, you know, <laughs> like running so, so, first of all, you already said they bored at home, <laughs> so they got nothing else to do but to make jokes about some. So obviously, some are gonna make jokes about this, right? I mean, have we not gotten value? We've gotten value, right? Like, as a whole society from the Zoom shows and everything. Like, just like... Yeah, I think so. Me and you have had conversations about you being on a Zoom, and you were like, that was fun. We had a great time one night. Remember that that Funhouse show? That was like... And it's like, bro, that one amongst 180 pretty jewelry fucking days, right? So... You know, if you have bright spots amongst the 180, however you got to get them, if one day it's a Zoom show, if one day it's opening your Xbox, if one day is meeting your cousin, whatever it is, you got to, like, take those spots. So, yeah, Zoom shows have their place. Are they everything? No. That's the extremist in America's extreme, bro. So it's like, starts doing Zoom shows, everybody, now it's, oh, we only got to do Zoom shows. It's not the case. I think that taps into like a different type of mentality, right? I feel like there's, there are two camps, right? There's like 
the camp that is is like an entitlement camp, you know, in that like these are the this is the way things are or the way things were, right? And then there's also like a camp that's like, okay, I'm adapting. And you know, and I think that those two different camps are tied into like a spectrum of ego. So it's like if you're really entitled or whatever, and you have a real like ego about like let's say comedy, right? If you're a professional working comedian and you've got a real ego about it, a time like quarantine or something can be real detrimental, potentially. If you're, you know, if you're unwilling to like in your eyes, I guess, sell your image to do Zoom shows or whatever. But then I guess if if you're coming from the other aspect of it where you've worked to kill your ego. I think you can see things like Zoom shows and things like outdoor park shows and stuff like that as opportunities to do something unique and creative that who knows where like the chips may fall. Yeah, I mean, no, you're just trying to, you're working on your act, right? That's all you're trying to do. Oh, wait, me working on my act no, trying to make these no, connections me, right me, now? I'm saying, I'm saying. <laughs> That's all conversation. It was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, yo, however you got to get there, bro. It's like, you know, people shouldn't hate on anybody doing any work, you know? Like, do I think it's a little weird that, you know, COVID is out here hard and people are doing indoor shows? Yeah, I do, but we watch the NFL every Sunday. We're all complicit, you know? Like, so, look, man, we all trying to move forward. Nobody wants this thing to be around. I think the last thing we got to do along the way is make judgment, you know? It's like, you live your life. I've decided I got away with a lot this year. I got married indoors, 130 people, like, a month and a half ago. So and nobody got COVID, so I got away with a lot. I don't need to push it no more. You know, I'm cool. I guess you were a little smart about it, and people didn't get COVID. Yeah, we were we were smart about it. You know, we gave masks to everybody, and you know, we got everybody to get tested beforehand. As much as as smart as you can be about something like that, yeah, we were. But you know. I'm like, bro, I got on stage a hundred times this year. You good. You could shut it down for the year. A hundred you know? times before March? No. Even during 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 quarantine with all those park shows and then park I was touring shows, yeah. with Akash. And it's like, yeah, I was getting on stage a lot. I'm like, bro, you you wildin' and, and shit is okay. I mean, I would always be careful everywhere I went. I was always the most anal out of everybody. Like, we would go to restaurants, and they'd be like, yo, let's just sit in. I'd be like, nah, I'm going to just sit outside. And they would sit outside with me, you know? Yeah, I mean, you were able to develop new material. I saw that during uh, during this whole time. Yeah, that was really dope for me, man. I grew as a comedian a lot. And yeah. so, you know. Do you think that has something to do with, uh, you know, you being in these Zoom shows? Like, that's something I always wondered, like. When you're out performing in the real world, you know, you, you bring yourself out into like the outer environment. But with the Zoom thing, you kind of you're in your own inner element. Do you get like some more of like confidence from that? Like does that play into your like comedy somehow? Like do you think it's an advantage or a disadvantage? 
I don't know. I don't know what makes... I don't have enough data. You know? What makes you funny or... Is it laziness? Or, like, not being... Or being uncomfortable? You know? That's basically what you're, like... Because if I'm at home, I'm lazy. And if I'm out somewhere and there's a show, usually I'm pretty uncomfortable, you know? And that's, like... So I don't know. I think you could figure out a way to bring out something through both places. Do you right? think, and it, um, do you think there's a line? Have you have you been feeling a line? Okay, forget about the professional comedy thing, right? Have you just been feeling a line being blurred in your professional and personal life in that like like we're doing all these zooms, we're doing all these facetimes and like doing comedy or performing or even speaking with a point on any sort of platform you have to be on and there is a marked marked difference between being on and being relaxed or normal right so like yeah. being on have you found a way to to delineate or like turn it off and on and are you good at that or is that a struggle right now with the quarantine stuff i mean i I try to be as me as possible all the time, you know, off stage, on stage. I try not to switch it up, you know, because it makes things easier that trying to be one thing one time and another thing at different times could be very exhausting. At least to me, that's how it seems. Yeah. So just kind of figuring out. Because I've been through that. When you're coming up in comedy, you're not you you on stage yet, and so you're trying to figure it out. Um, I think I'm getting closer to that, you know. So that, it would be exhausting. So it's like no, I try to keep it. I try to keep it one tone, and that keeps it pretty clear on what I'm thinking, what my motivations are on and off stage. They're usually the same, you know? So it's like, do you apply this to life? Yeah, of course, bro. This is, this has changed my life man. like applying this kind of thing where it's like, you have one set of principles across the board. They don't change for any game, no matter what game you're in, no matter who you're around. Speaking of, so before you ever did comedy, I know we talked about this. You you were a gamer and a gaming commenter in the esports world before yeah, yeah. sports what is what it is now. So it was like kind of like at the uh, the rumblings of it becoming a big uh, industry, right? You were you were a uh, professional commenter and gamer in that world, but you quit and pursued comedy. Yeah. Right. Why? Why? Um. I mean, there was a there was a bunch of reasons, you know. Uh, looking back. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of reasons that would actually pertain to why the, the, this podcast exists, right? Let us know. So. You know, one thing is, the first thing foremost was I fell out of passion with gaming, right? Like, gaming 
I game all the time now. I still have, I got the new Xbox. I love gaming. You know, I gamed three hours last night, but it's not the same as it used to be, you know? And I didn't want to make it an all day thing. I just felt like my life was being wasted. I felt like there was more out there in the world than just gaming all day, yeah. you know? And so that was really the, the first thing, okay? But the second thing, and, you know, I'm actually grateful now looking back that this happened, but there was just, despite me having, you know, guys, look at me, I'm, I'm unconventional. We're doing this podcast, I'm outside hitting a bogue on the side of my house with a coffee in my hand. I moved the way I'm. Right, you're. You look like you're on a construction site. Yeah. Okay. So already, like, I'm. Yes, it does look like I'm building <laughs> houses. Okay. You're like the main contractor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It looks like I'm talking to you about housing <laughs> development, and so I get it. Yeah. Right. I'm not for everybody, but through that, there was even in gaming, the commentating, there was a lot of promise. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I showed a lot of skill. I wasn't the best commentator, but I did show a lot of skill. And if they had cultivated that properly, right, the way they did with other young talent, then I would have gone pretty far with them. Yeah. Right? And, you know, every time I got replaced, I always got replaced by a white dude named... And these are all my boys, so it's no right. love lost, right? But it would be like a Rich, a John, a Scott, uh, you know, like it was all it's white. It's not dudes, their right? fault. It's not yeah, their no, fault. it's not their you, fault. Bro. You know, these were and Chris. Yeah, it would be right. those guys that would like, and I love those guys. I still have good relationships with all those guys, you know, right. like it's not on them. They, it's just like what the market, at the end of the day, these guys are trying to build something for a market and what would be like better for the market. And then, on top of that, I was like not as responsible as I should have been. I was younger than everybody. I was literally the youngest kid at the company for a long time, you know? So I just didn't have the level of professionalism needed right. for the job, first of all. You right. know? And I know that uh, having something so, I guess, kind of high profile like that, very young, and then switching it up because this goes back to like the conversations that you and I have personally had in like the last however couple of years or whatever, just about. So when you got to switch it up, having used to have use, having had used to have like uh, this high profile stuff, right, and not necessarily performing at the level of professionalism you expect of yourself now, and then now trying to get back into it a high profile world, but you have these tools of knowing how to be professional or how to carry yourself in a professional way. And so there's that disconnect, right? There's the thing that you used to have, but you navigated it like dog shit. And now there's the thing that you want to get because you're ready to navigate it in the right way. And there's always that fucking thought of just like, well, will I ever get this? you know, versus the thought of like, of course, I'm going to get this because I'm doing things right. So the fight between those two thoughts, how bad is that with you? Uh, I'm pretty good at that. Um, you know, my move into comedy was very calculated. Yeah. 
it was just very calculated. I just, I always wanted to do it. At one point I told myself I'm going to do it at 30 because, you know, I, I would always watch comedians on stage and they would always be in their thirties. Yeah. So I was like, you don't even need to do this till later. <laughs> and little did I know, you know, you needed the eight years before to even get so to you, a spot at 30. You procrastinated you know? on your dream? Yeah, that was my original thing. And because I was helping my boy rap. Yeah. And he, he did it. He did. He just stopped, you know. And then I was like, all right, well, I'm going to pursue my shit at 23. And I had come to this, like, conclusion where I, like, was in the studio all the time. I was working at this gaming place every day, right? My life was dope, man. Like, on paper, that's a dope. And I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot, right? But nothing has felt as good as comedy. Stand-up, particularly, has been really, really fun. You know, and I love it. And so I even still love it. I mean, I know there's a lot of comedians that are like, the cool thing is to not love it, you know? But mm. I don't know. I just I have a great time doing stand-up. And so, like, I pick, I pick the thing. I've seen what it takes to be the best. That yeah. I've seen close up. Yeah. My, my closest friends in gaming are now some of the biggest stars in gaming. Yeah. So I I know intimately what mindset it takes for you to get there. And it takes like something where you'll never stop trying to get better ever, ever, no matter what. Yeah. Right. And you want to go so hard. You want to be the best. That's what it takes. So when I realized I don't have that for gaming, but I feel like I want, I have that for stand-up. I want to be so good. I just want to keep getting better. I just, you know, like, I never even imagined I would be this good. So now I'm like, oh, this is great. I want to keep getting better at this, you know? So I don't go through it much. I, I have pretty much a level head about this stuff, especially by this point. You know, maybe I was going through it when I was first getting in. It was really rough the first few years. But once you make it through that, it gets a lot better, man. It gets a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I can see that, you know, and um, just being around a lot of different comedians at different levels, you see not just the quality of life improve, but you see, like, clarity of mind sometimes or and you you can definitely see like stark differences in people at different stages now i bring all of this stuff up because um you know when we met it was at a popular comedy show and i i, I had my polaroid camera and i was like okay brown dude with another brown dude with a beard and we hung out and talked and i think we talked about like representation and the aims of representation and all of that and, you know, we talked about how, like, brown men are, you know, kind of systematically emasculated, you know, in terms of how we're perceived and stuff. And we're, we're both, we're emasculated and, and in a way that um, 
makes us non-threatening, you know? And because we're non-threatening, we get to be model minorities. So like, <clears throat> because of that, like we talked about this and it's like, how do you deprogram that myth, you know? And it's about having overcorrecting and having more representation of fuckable brown males. You know, we talked about that more and more. And it's like how you have to have really have confidence in all your delivery and everything, because that's what it is, right? Because the more representation we have of us, where it's like the dude from Big Bang Theory that's unable to talk to girls, that's what's going to drive the global perception of us. Because, you know, if we've seen anything in the last few years, it's that people model their behavior and perceptions based off of, you know, however things are curated for them. So, like, that being the case, and comedy being a very specific animal in which your performance is really you trafficking in confidence, right? Because of the way we are now globally and everybody has conversations digitally, you know, people don't meet each other in person so much. People don't talk on the phone as much as they text, right? So because of that, we will look at someone like a comedian who's able to get on a stage and confidently speak an opinion, deliver an opinion without having to like kowtow and genuflect or anything. And then we see that confidence and we're attracted to that confidence. So having to be a stand-up comedian means that you have to, even if you don't have it personally, you have to portray to the world this wealth of self-confidence and, and general confidence in your opinion and opinion making, right? And so because of that, and because you've had the gaming and you know, in the gaming world, a lot of people, it, you know, it's the merit of your reactions and your skills in the gaming and whatever. It's not so much about how good you are at talking on screen or how good you are at talking to other people, you know, because the, the most famous gamer can be someone who's a complete recluse that never speaks. No, that's not true. You don't, no? No, man, no. Like in gaming, bro, you go back, you know, there was this guy, like streamers are personalities. Personality yeah. survives anywhere, right? Me and my boy, Caesar, we would like go hard. You know, there's videos of us 15 years ago at my house with like a bunch of other gamers, you know, and we would rap battle at events. There's videos of us 10 years ago, rap battling, you know, with hundreds of kids watching at the, the uh, events after hours at like midnight everybody would get together in front of the hotel and there'd be rap battles, you know, cops have pulled up. I was like leading this whole thing. Sorry, for I'm years. Just, we're gamers. We're rap. Yeah. It was just like, cause these kids all felt the same way. You know, usually what is true, man, is when you're in a thing and you're feeling something, other people who are in that thing are also feeling that thing. Yeah. Right. So if you're in gaming and you're feeling like, man, I'm a cool kid who's like more than a video game player. Let's like fucking smoke weed and rap, you know, and then there's probably other kids like, yo, I'm into. And then there's kids that are just like fans of that, that are like, yo, I would sit and watch that. So then there would be hundreds of kids that would get together. And it's like. And this is all, this is all before. See, this is all before the world of streaming became big and everyone has... Yeah, and now Caesar is one of the biggest streamers in the world. People will yeah. watch him play literally any game. Yeah. Right? So, and he's very good at games, but he's like 
good at games to the point where I was good at games, like yeah, better than average, but definitely borderline professional for sure, but like not the best at all. You know, right. there's a hundred people better, to a thousand people better than him at every game. And you know? I know, um, so we talk about this all the time. It's like, so the thing that delineates him is that <clears throat> I don't want to say just the performance aspect, but like the way I was thinking about it, it's like it's a virtual hangout aspect or a virtual by proxy hangout, right? So it's like if you're in the gaming streaming world, right, you essentially are presenting yourself as a character that's a cool hang that's a virtual person hanging out in the living room with you playing this game that you're watching. Right. Cause that's like kind of the type of attention that captures, especially in a lot of young kids and a lot that's why. And then with comedy, you're literally training to fill airspace, right. With humor and with like in empty rooms and you're, you're you train in a way to win over people in crowds. Right. And so even people that you can't see, like you need to be able to, to make, thoughts humorous or at least make connections and make callbacks and stuff in in riffing and all this stuff so it's like i know you and i talk about this all the time and i think you specifically you are like the perfect nexus of gaming and comedy in that that you know because i think that that's probably where like the trends and you know the world is going to go right because esports is becoming a huge thing you see all these different agencies and everybody, they're going to represent esports people just to, with the same zeal as they would uh, uh, movie stars, you know, talent agents and, and whatever, or, or entertainment lawyers, because the money is there, right? And with comedians, it's all about being like on existing platforms or making your own platforms, but humor is itself something that can translate into any industry or anything. So it's like having a comedian who's versed in the language of gaming, you know, there's gotta be some sort of like opening up. There's gotta be some sort of marriage of those worlds in how the world and how our world is going and being like more quarantined and isolated and everything, you know, it's like gaming's going to win. Yeah. I mean, bro, I've obviously, as you telling me, you're the perfect nexus. I know, I know I already know that, but it took, you saying that now because now I finally established myself somewhat. I said it two the, years ago too. <laughs> yeah, but in the comedy world, it took me, it takes me, it's taken me time to establish myself as a legitimate professional comedian in everyone's eyes, right? Yeah. You're yeah, a young yeah. kid. It takes time to do that, bro. I don't have no manager. I've never been on TV. You know, I had a few lines in a TV show. That's it, right? And so I'm still very much on the grind. And so right. I had a plan of, you know, put that gaming shit to the side until you establish yourself as some real shit in comedy and then try to marry the two, you know, in some way. And we're figuring it out. And it's yeah, like, you know, and all the gamers are hitting me up waiting and they, they, they show love, you know, I, I, Ninja, Nature, all those big ass gamers, they all show love. I seen them like two, three years ago in person. They showed so much love. They were like, bro, we're so happy about the comedy, all that stuff, right? Yeah. So they're watching. So of course they'll they'll try to put on, but you gotta go do some dope shit for them to want it. Cause then it's like if you do some really if you do something really cool in comedy, 
the gamers will be like, man, that's one of us. That I can do that. So I'm a, I'm a retweet that, right? I'm a, right. I'm a push that out. You don't even have to say anything. You don't even have yeah. to ask them to do that, right? Right. No, I mean, that, it's a form of representation. Yeah, it's, it's, in, it's, yeah. All you're doing is boosting their net worth. That's it, right? Yeah. So, there's that. There's still that sense of not evil tribalism, but tribalism. You know. So I don't even have to ask, bro. I just have to do. That's all it is. So that's why I haven't married the two and why I haven't streamed, you know. Bro, somebody offered me six figures when I left MLG to start streaming. And I said no, you know. If I said no then, I'm not going to start now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. That's a good thought. Uh, how old were you when you got that offer? 23. 23. Okay. So... That's in line with a lot of things we do here on the podcast because we're like, you know, we talk about and we haven't really done that yet on this interview uh, specifically was like, you know, talk about microaggressions and transgressions and shit like that. And, you know, trying to relate it to the goals you had with your younger self and how you talk to your younger self now because we want to create like a patch together guidebook for younger brown kids that don't necessarily understand how things would pan out after college or however you know whatever the path that they have going on so i want to before getting into that discussion i wanted to hit you with a segment that i think we talked about earlier in the prep um so this is called tokenized or fetishized and in this segment you uh i'm going to ask you for a personal anecdote that you have where in a situation you were either tokenized or you were fetishized. And maybe you can explain to us what either of those mean or if there's a difference between the two or maybe if I'm framing it in a wrong way. But uh, if you can delineate between the two and tell us about one experience in which either of the two or both of, the, both of them happened to you, that's what we like to hear. You know, when you're a kid, maybe in gaming, Yeah, I mean, you're always, like, tokenized as a... I mean, I grew up in a town that is very multicultural. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, multicultural being, like, a lot of... basically strong representation in every way hispanics black people uh white people were strong here and brown people were just making their way here in the 80s you know the 80s they were just starting to take over uh new jersey and so growing up in the 90s you know we were the only brown people in this particular town at the time you know, us and like 10 other people, right? So that's not a lot in a town of 30,000 people, right? Now it's probably a few thousand, you know, especially I think, and they're all in my neighborhood, okay? And it's great, right? It's yeah. it's amazing. I look at, I look around now and I feel like some sort of like pride of like walking around and I'm like, man, like we started this shit, yo. You know, like we were the first yeah. brown people to move in, us and Priya down the block, 
And like, and so back in the day, people, you know, and there was other brown kids. There was this kid, Monty, who was, I don't know what he was, but he wasn't what he would say he was. He was one of those brown kids that was saying he was Spanish, right? <laughs> yeah, you remember? <laughs> you remember those kids? They yeah, was, no, they, I know. Yeah, he was one of those. <laughs> and this guy was like always such an asshole, you know, like a year older or something. And because he hated himself, man. Yeah, he hated himself, and he like, you know, he dressed like pretty cool. You know, I would be like, man, like. You know, but also, like, kind of, like, OD'd on the dressing. So you would be like, uh, you know? <laughs> and so you, you'd be like, yo, you have flash shivers. You don't know how to wear it, you know? And, and, and now then, he's a famous rapper named, well, I'm not going to, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> so then, um, I, I don't know, I remember, like, one time he was, like, making fun of me for eating uh, naan. And so I had him come in, and I hated this guy, right? But I had him come in my house and eat it. Like, he doesn't eat it every night at his own house. And he pretended (laughs) that he didn't, you know? Like, I'm like... and, And then he would, like, tell the kids on the block, he's like, he like made fun of the food after after he like enjoyed it in the house, you know. And I was like, man, like you fucking played me, man. And and like, you know, there was it was both of a lot of that was happening to both. It was that was interesting because you saw two brown kids yeah. on both sides of it, right? In one situation, right? One one person. He was adapting to a world in which that kind of thing is heavily stigmatized and it's not something to be proud of, right? You're whatever. Yeah, because it wasn't cool back then. Well, it absolutely it, wasn't cool. No. Yeah. So it wasn't cool to just like be different, but I kind of owned it. Yeah. Because I don't know. I just had a lot of confidence always, man. I, I always did, you know? That was one thing that. I think it's, I got it from my dad. My dad has mad confidence. So what do you say to the people, maybe kids that are in this situation that don't have confidence? How do you fake confidence or how do you get in that kind of, and I know it's not really so much of a concern now because like Brown stuff is like cool because all the white girls uh, are making huge industries out of it. So like, I'm sure I feel like Brown kids in school are cool or, or their ethnic things are cool, but like, what would you say to, um, yeah, like a, a kid that wasn't so confident in their identity and being stigmatized for being different, right? How how could you tell I them mean, confident? Knowledge is power straight up. Okay. That's how I always felt. I was like, if you could just be smart, smart smarter than, you know, if you read, if you enjoy it, if, if you, and I love that stuff. I, I enjoyed reading as a kid. I was so thankful, you know. I I don't read much now. Maybe ten books a year, five books a year, depending on the year. But I used to read a lot as a kid, and I was really thankful, dude. In fifth grade, you know, the guy is like still one of my closest friends to this day, right? 
in fifth grade, I got into a fight with the most popular kid in school, Kofi Genfie, because I said something about his mom, right? And he punched me. We were, like, arguing, right? It was, like, like kids were, and I knew I was going to get my ass beat, you know? It was, fucking Kofi was, like, a big dude, too, you know? He's 6'4". Now, I'm also 6'4", so it was even. So once it was even, I was like, oh, I can't fight, you know? So I'm like, okay. So then he You're said, not that, six four. You're yeah. Six four? Yeah. Yeah, I don't wear it well. Kofi wore it well. So <laughs> that was the difference. And then, so <laughs> even as kids, and so he punched me in the face and he gave me a bloody nose. Damn. And I didn't tell. You know, and through the years, you know, I could tell he respected that. I didn't tell on him. And then in seventh grade or eighth grade, he asked me a question one time about the homework. And I didn't help him, but then I helped him after class. He like tried to get my homework, you know, and I was like, nah, nah. But I was like, I'll help you. I'll help you, though. Not for doing what you did. Yeah, yeah. No, not even for that. I just wasn't going to, like, he was trying to straight up take my homework, you know, and be like, yo, you show it to him, hand me your homework, and then I'll show it to him. And I was like, no, no, no. Right? So then. Does that happen to you a lot? Did that happen to you a lot growing up? That happened to me Well, it it did. It did happen, right? And because I was, like, just good at math, just like all brown kids, right? And most brown kids, I feel bad for the brown kids who aren't good at math because they really got to, like, fuck, deal with that. Dude, I love so, that. Yeah, me too. So then, so then he would, he would, like, through the years, he started to, like, fuck with me. And then we became best friends, man. We just became best friends. And, it, and then I was best friends with the most popular kid at school because I was, you know, we got to, like, know each other. And he was really smart. And I, like, fucked with him, you know? And then later on, I would get my tests from him. I would, like, cheat off of him in other grades, you know, in the later grades. When I was fucking off, he started taking school seriously, you know? Okay. So that works. It's good. It's like karma. Yeah, it worked out. And and it kind of, like, saved my childhood. Hmm. Right? Like, my, my childhood was in danger. Going through that school, being alone, it could have been a lot worse. I got bullied a lot, yeah. for sure. But it could have been... You know, everything, bro. Terrorists was big. Yeah. That was that was hard, you know. They would they would go hard on terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> like, terrorists, they would go hard. To the point when I was gaming, one of my one of my team names that got like top sixteen at an MLG event was called D Max Terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> That's like what it was called, you know. It was so much commitment to such a hacky thing. <laughs> you gotta admire it. Yeah, that shit went hard from from two thousand one to two thousand eight. Terrorist was like so going this is hard all before like GamerGate too. Yeah, yeah. Man, before like gaming showed its vile incel underside, that they those guys shifted into just becoming the alt right instead. 
<laughs> so I guess, yeah, I could have been tokenized more. I probably was, you know, in terms of like people would look to me to get the math homework in certain, you know, and fetishized. No, I never really allowed myself to be. I would, I would go in the right circles. Maybe in, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was tokenized. There was one event in in Dallas at MLG. I was working there. And we were at the hotel, and the fire alarm goes off. And I go, and I try to wake up one of the guys working there. I'm like, yo, we got to go, we got to go. He's not waking up because he's like, this guy is not serious, right? So I go downstairs. Everybody's outside. And they they were like there was like a a bomb scare. So then everybody and this is all the MLG is like, yo, D Mac, you did this, yo, D Mac, you did this, yo, yo, to the from the top to the bottom. From the from this like top people who work there to the fucking people who were attending the event. We're talking thousands of kids, right? And it's and like, it's like they like, pass around one memo with one joke every week. And they're like, you guys have to say this to one yeah. black person every week. <laughs> and I owned it, you know. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I did it, you know. And I was like, you know, I was just like playing, you know. And it was, yeah, you 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 were like, this is not right. <laughs> this is not, you yeah. know. We used to make a game with my friends in high school, all my white friends in high school, about like how often I would get uh, randomly security checked because it was just like it would happen even in front of them. And it's like, um, that's not random. Yeah. <laughs> like we'd make a jokes about the word being random. It's like, that's not. Yeah. If anything, it always kind of gave me perspective. And that's why I kind of aligned myself with the black community because like, it always gave me perspective on the things they would have to go through on like a deeper basis, you know, like they got to go through that all, all time. We had like a moment in time and I think that moment is still here and it exists, but it's, you know, I, it's changing, I hope, but it's not as also as systematic as it is with the black community at all. So it's like, it does give you a window into their life, like being at the airport, gives you a window of what it's like to just be outside as a black person you know and so uh that that is not something that i wish to have but i also am thankful to have it because i'm like i feel more understanding of their plight now you know the the more that we get racially profiled and fucked with the closer we get to intersectionality yeah, I, th I think so. As fucked up as that is, and as fucked up as that sounds, it just gives you more empathy, and, and you're like, you know. That's why, you know, even with everything that happened this year, and just even, like, a lot of the other ones that would hit you in the past years, they would really affect you. You'd be like, damn, you know, this didn't affect me as much as it should have back in the day, and now it does. Because you do align yourself with them, and that's why it affects you. Because it's like, oh, this could 
happened to one of my friends or even somebody like me right. who has, right? So. Right, right. Be choosing or being apathetic is a privilege in that even if it's not an active choice, the omission itself is a passive choice. You know, it's a choice. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's yes. And so it's like, yeah, you can, we're still lucky where we have like a little bit of choice, you know? So, you know, I, I look at our experience. That we have a little bit of choice. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I look at our experience as a little bit different. And so I never, I always am that guy that's like, well, there's starving children in the world, you know? Like, I always look at life like that. It just helps you go through life a lot easier. And so I never felt too bad about what was going on you know, and how, how I was being treated because at the end of the day, I still considered my life super privileged, right? Like I remember when I would get like Pokemon cards and I would get like the PlayStation and the video games. Yeah. And I would be like, dude, like kids don't all get this shit. I saw there's something funny and I were looking at, it was like some where uh, some guy was like, oh, you always compare yourself to the best people. Have you ever tried comparing yourself to someone shittier? And I remember, like, I used to use that kind of thought to, like, get through, um, you know, like, after law school, I didn't have any work or whatever, whatever. It was like, I didn't, I did not feel confident about my own future and self. So I'd use the thought of, like, well, I have all my limbs. I don't have any dependents. I have no alcohol or anything like that to pay. You know, I, I'm not really like, huh? So and how'd that work for you? <laughs> well, to be seen, but yeah. uh, at least it wasn't as heavy as it could be. <laughs> like, yeah, I, think, I mean, I think it's uh, the right way to look at shit, bro. Fucking asking how'd that work for you? Come on, man. <laughs> well, no, I was asking for real. Like, how, no, yeah, how for do... real. For real, it's a thought I go to a lot because it's like think about people who have it worse than you, right? Like. There are people that are packed in the goddamn slums. You know, there are people that are packed in mass graves. Like, their lives, you know, it's like, oh, our, this all this shit can come to an abrupt end. You know, you can be abducted uh, by authority or whoever, but, like, you know, you can be disappeared. You know, everything can be horrible in a snap. So, like, you don't have it too bad. You know, like, yeah, that's that's basically how I try to live life. Someone detains you for a few hours at the border, violates you. You don't have it too bad, comparatively. But but the thought process of having to use something like that to cope and absolutely shredding yeah. any sense of any shredding any sense of entitlement, right? So and then it's like then it's like you start to have these thoughts later on in life where it's like. Am I not entitled to be entitled at least or to feel entitled a little bit, right? Like I see some of my peers and whatever, they feel entitled to all of these experiences, right? The things that they talk about with you come from a place of selfishness. And it's just like, can I not get to be that 
self-absorbed sometimes because I have to feel like, oh, well, I got to compare my situation. I don't have it as bad. It's like, can I not be that like is and I'm not talking about me specifically. I'm talking about like, you know, growing up like first generation, being a minority, right? Like, well, I think space to just be you're, like you're describing what it's like to be white in America. You know, where you don't have to have any of those. And I I hope that maybe our children or our children's children will not have to deal with that. But unfortunately, we grew up in a time, or fortunately, we grew up in a time where we still have empathy. Again, I just did the same thing there with that with that sentence, right? Of like, look at it the other way. Fortunately, we still have empathy. Fortunately, I still feel like I got a connection to being human. And fortunately, I don't feel like I'm owed this. You know, because I look at that, uh, and it's not all white people, obviously. When you're talking about white people, you're talking about a certain, you know. Yeah, not necessarily that you're entitled to wealth, you're entitled, but getting the benefit of the doubt in social situations or whatever. Like, I know that me going into situations just by nature of how I look, like, I know that I'm not always extended the benefit of the doubt, or people may view my intentions as being necessarily nefarious but it's also flipping though now white people got to be careful in social situations right it's different now it's we gotta be different it's getting to be yeah yeah we gotta be less careful in social situations than a white person right now which is this is the first time i remember that that's that's a good point i mean that's true the fact that you know like i know growing up that um I could always have ownership of any sort of mysticism or anything, even if I'm making it up, like, like, you know, white people would always ask me how to meditate when I'm like a 12 year old, 13 year old kid. And I don't know this stuff, but like, really? Yeah. 12 or 13? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of us. <laughs> no, you know, like, you know what I would do for like a few years, but I'm also growing up in Mississippi, right? So like, yeah, classmates and people would ask me and like older, older students and all this, like ask me how to meditate. And you know what I would do? I would think about that movie, Beverly Hills Ninja with Chris Farley. And when, when he would meditate, he would be, he would float up to like this other realm and then Robin Shue was there. And I was just like, I would describe that to these 12, 13 year old white kids that were asking me. I was like, well, really, when you meditate, you feel your body go into this cloud state and you should be able to see other clouds, but you got to sit like this. And um, they'd buy it, <laughs> they'd eat it up like every single time and be like, love, I can't meditate. Like, why? Like, I've been trying, to, I can't see the clouds. So funny. It's like, you got to let your mind grow. Yeah, so wow. that right that makes me think that like you know, you know people are dumb, and like especially in the realm of spirituality, because like even when we talk and think about yoga, and it's like you know these people that have these yoga studios here, they're like, yeah, I went to India and got certified. Well, it's probably just some Indian dude named Raj that you went to in India. It could be like there's is there not the possibility? that some dudes got together in India and made like a yoga certification studio. And it was like, Hey, do these things. 
And yeah, yeah. There are 1.6 billion. There could be some frauds. Right, right. They're just they're they're just like a group like all the outsourcing people, they're like, okay, well we figure we figured out Google metrics, so we'll just create a, a yoga certification studio and and you know churn out these teachers on the weekend. So but it's just like the fact that there really exists no proper filter or radar for expertise versus non-expertise if the person packaging the expertise can do it with such confidence you know and i think that's a huge problem we have like people people don't have a bullshit radar that extends beyond someone confidently pitching you something right no one's asking a follow-up question because they don't think i think it's less of a problem now than in the 90s really yeah, back in the day, somebody tell you something, you're like, well, all we're right. In the, but we're in, we're in a global world of strongmen fascists. That's yeah, literally man. the operating, that's if, the if, operating logic. If you're smart, you can fact check everything yourself before right. making a purchase today. Yeah, right? but some people's parents are some of the smartest, intelligent people, and they still get bought, they still get wrapped up in this garbage propaganda. And you yeah. see that. Okay, but the consumer has never been more aware ever of what they're consuming. Or has so, the consumer never had so much more information ever? That too, right? But they're also, if you're, if you're intelligent enough, just, which is just being average, right? Which is just where I'm at. Thankful, thank God, right? Yeah. You can make conscious decisions, and most of the time you'll be right. You'll miss on some. Right, you'll align yourself incorrectly sometimes, but most of the time you'll be correct, and that's okay, you know. Hmm, yeah. I mean, you know, the uh, what is it, the uh, the moral arc of the universe towards justice or whatever. So it's like if you make if you make decisions consistent with whatever your personal axioms are, if they are consistent i guess you're gonna be right either way more or less yeah you just have to be consistent yeah just be one person that's the key which is a callback to the thing we talked about at the beginning of this interview yeah with uh being consistent on and off stage in that how that may necessarily may not necessarily be the way but it is a way to declutter any sort of extraneous noise you know and if you can just be consistent you don't have to necessarily necessarily worry about managing a bunch of spinning plates and so that being said that and you know the gaming and comedy thing and finding the marriage between that but really all of this wanting to drive home the point of like, you know, what we're talking about is confidence and ego and the balance of that and how innate in us and how we grew up, right? And how we were treated in growing up. And we got to we we got to now overcorrect in our confidence and create these portrayals of confident characters, confident people in our profession or whatever, so that younger brown kids can see confident people and then develop their own nuances, you know? And there's yeah. no nuances for representation.
information. They're not necessarily always going to be typecast as one way, which is the thing that we have to worry about in our generation because we develop that empathy or whatever. So ideally, you know, if we can have the super entitled brown kid generation, that's how we know we've won. Maybe. Uh, I think, <laughs> no, man, it's, <laughs> uh, are we gonna, are we gonna breed a new generation that's gonna be doper than us? I yeah. hope so. Yeah, for sure. 100, man. That's I the goal. So. You I know. Mean, uh, yeah. Like I'm telling all the It's part of why I'm trying to do what I'm trying to do. And part of why anybody that, part of why Hudson's doing what he's doing, part of why Hakash is doing what he's doing, you know? Um, so on every level, you see it of like. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and you know, there's a, there's a general sense of wanting to achieve that aim or that goal. And then I find that that sometimes comes in clash with you know whatever whatever you get caught up with daily concerns or whatever and where you're just like you know the whatever bubble or whatever community you might be in the daily concerns of that sometimes may necessarily make you forget what the that that general aim or 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 that kind of thing so it's like a lot of these conversations i have uh it's always nice to kind of check back in with your previous self and see what what were the goals and ambitions there and what drove them and a lot of times the thing that drove them was this sense of being otherized or stigmatized you know growing up making humor out of being randomly security checked you know or or being called a terrorist for the fire department thing by the way when i was in seventh grade I accidentally pulled a fire alarm uh, in a hotel or like a sprinkler thing and a few floors flooded and they had to send me back from the, the uh, field trip. And uh, that was, thankfully that was before 9-11. Uh, so I didn't get like terrorist stuff, uh, but it was, it was just like, um, I think it was just like, oh, love was doing water sports or something. So uh, <laughs> either way, you can't win. <laughs> no, I have, I have so many. Now that I think about it, you know, <laughs> I try not to think about it. I mean, that's a big central theme that we have here is like the reason kind of for the tokenized fetishized segment is like, yo, I'll make you think about it before we record the episode, but people don't really necessarily do that. And then when we're on the episode, you start when we're having this conversation, you start thinking back to different experiences you might have had as a kid. And you're like, yo, that shit was kind of racist or yo there were sexual undertones there that shouldn't have been there. And it's just like, oh, fuck. Why am I realizing this now as an adult? Ooh. Yeah. And I feel I like mean, that happens you know, to all of us. Hmm? It, I'm thankful for all the bullying and everything, bro. It made me who I am. Same. You know, I, feel, I don't think bullying is right now because now you get to get bullied all day. At least when I went home to my haven, my haven was my haven, you know. That's like, true. These kids are online and they get to get bullied all day. That's not cool. So that's got to switch up, you know. Um, yeah, man. Okay, last thing. Last thing. Remember Clock Kid? 
how did you feel about clack kid the oh. that muslim kid in um this was like a couple of two three years oh, ago oh yeah 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 he built like a clock and hey, what did he what did he do they, they so, ended up so he built a clock no i know, i remember exactly what happened the bomb squad or, or whatever they took him yeah. away in cuffs and then the whole thing was like oh no at first, the the uh, all the people online were just like, "Oh, well, he could have been a terrorist. It was a threat, whatever." And then later on, it was like, "No, well, obviously he wasn't a threat." And they're like, "Well, he's not even that smart. He was just making a uh, an already made set. It wasn't real ingenuity. He's not as smart as he says he is." Like it, the the conversation immediately shifted. Dude, he's not as smart as he says he is, which is like, a, "What the fuck?" Like, is this kid? Um, I think his mother had to end up pulling him from the school. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's what happened, right? Yeah, but I mean, he never, the, you never heard the end of it online. Like, all of these, like, white dudes our age were just, like, talking about how this kid is, he's, he's calling himself smart, but he's not really smart because he didn't really build it from scratch. He followed some directions, you know? Yeah, but white people are offended how, uh, how much we as a culture take to just knowledge, right? So they're offended by it. And they, they should be. They should really be offended by Japanese people, <laughs> right? But, Why? They, they just submit it to them because some Japanese people be on their shit with knowledge, bro. <laughs> by they that you be, mean South Koreans? <laughs> South Koreans too. Yeah, they do. South Koreans too. South Koreans and Japanese people are on their shit. They're just uh, smart as shit. You, you ever know? been to Japan? No, but I've met a bunch of the gamers from out there because they used to come for the tournaments. And I met a bunch of the South Korean StarCraft players too. Yeah. Smart as shit. Bro, you know, you know what it's like? It, like the one thing you notice in Japan Everybody that's doing whatever they do, they do it with singular purpose, right? Like, like you'll see a doctor sweeping the street in front of his clinic because he's keeping it clean for presentation, right? Like, there's no, there's none of this real like shift, which might be why the suicide rate's high, right? There's none of this like shifting of the blame for every single thing. And it's just like, people have ownership of the things that they do. And I like, that's like incredible to me, right? To like have purpose in your actions, in every action. And that implies that there's a general grand strategy to the things that you're yeah, doing. Like eating one grain of rice at a time and shit, you know? Yeah. It's that shit. Making those tiny burgers. Yeah, it's that shit. <laughs> that's what it is. With a scalpel? <laughs> I, okay, hold on, one story, and then, yeah, let's end, because my wife keeps texting me. <laughs> yeah, no, I figured. <laughs> uh, there was this girl on CNN, Hajabi, promoting her makeup line. And then, so she promoted her makeup line, and then they asked her about nuclear warheads. That's so funny. And she had an answer. <laughs> that was the wildest part. The wildest part was she had something prepared. 
Yo, that's like that dude Reza Aslan when they're asking, talking about Christianity and Islam, and he's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a scholar of all religions. Why are you talking to me about Islam constantly? Dude, that shit was so funny to me that she knew to prepare a fucking answer. You know, like that's fucking nuts. yeah. Because she can't look like a fool, and if she she of course you can anticipate that CNN yeah, is gonna ask you about that shit. So, you know, they the don't need to put your makeup. <laughs> yeah. Just, I would say, I just want to know what the fuck does Kylie think about nuclear warheads? Have we asked her? She got the biggest makeup line in this bitch, right? Have we asked Rihanna? No, we've never asked her, but we had this one fucking lowly hijabi, bro. She wouldn't have gotten on the promoter shit unless she knew who had what bombs, you know? So it's like, just keep that in mind when you have to think about. Yo, it's like, it's like the brown influencers speak about, you know, international politics and stuff. And then, then, uh, you know, the white politicians and international politicians speak about influencer stuff when they get at the end of their thing. Yeah, it's shit is like, yeah, man. So, I mean, they should be intimidated by that. Somebody who knows white people should be intimidated by somebody who knows makeup and nuclear warheads. They should be, and they, <laughs> they're gonna lock her up. <laughs> yeah, this is why they are intimidated. See, if you fucking are are that on your shit all the time, you that woke. I mean, what the fuck? Who gonna fuck with you? You're a threat. You're a threat. So, yeah, she she actually set us back by doing it. What is she doing by knowing so much, you know? <laughs> Play dumb. Cheery yeah. and aloof. Now, girl, you don't got to tell people. <laughs> don't let them know we know. <laughs> yeah, be like, I'm just a makeup girl. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Yo, we're going to, we got to appropriate the Valley Girl accent. <laughs> oh yeah, you should have done straight Valley Girl bullshit. That's why know? I add I add like twenty ums and uhs in every one of my <laughs> speaking paragraphs. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, dude, great. Thanks for coming on. This is a good episode. Of course, man. We got to yeah. do it again, and you know we talk all the time, anyways, off screen. Um, but we'll we got to do another one on screen. Um, oh, for sure, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we'll figure out the direction of all of this. But, yeah, dog, Danish McBool, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram at dmac1. D-M-A-Q-1. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, we'll, right. we'll put the thing out there and all that, and, you know, look forward to seeing all the things you do. So. All right. For sure. Appreciate Bye. y'all. Return, return the jewels. <laughs> All right. All right.